Good morning and welcome everyone to Live Dharma Sunday for January 15th, 2017. Koyo here, so very, very glad you joined us. Every morning after I wake up uh, and I go get the morning newspaper, we have a long gravel driveway about, well, maybe 300 feet long. Our house is set back from the road, and the newspaper delivery, they come by and uh, put the, throw the paper out because they drive by, so it's at the head of the driveway. So I walk down the gravel driveway and get the newspaper, walk back, and um, this morning, like other mornings, it's not uncommon to hear coyotes howling in the distance. We're in uh, you know six acre wooded property and and we're in an area where uh, there's a lot of uh, it's very wooded. The houses are far apart. Um, on several acre lots, maybe there's about 20 homes in this in this subdivision, I guess, unincorporated. So it's very um, uh, wild, I guess you call it. We have all kind of animals: deer, coyote, and uh, squirrels and rabbits and gophers and coyotes. You know. Um, I was just thinking about the fact that probably not not very many people that live in uh, you know modern places hear coyotes howling in their neighborhood, and I thought that was really nice that to be in nature. Anyway, when I another morning ritual is I check my email. And um, a lot of things get sent. One particular video and commentary was about wolves. And this was, you know, the wolves were howling. You know, wolves howl. So, oh, it was sort of similar to listening to the coyotes this morning. So I took a look at this short video. And it was titled, How Wolves Change Rivers. Uh, and it's about um, interdependency, ecological phenomena, about nature. Uh, it was very interesting. Uh, and uh, it was about how wolves were reintroduced to Yellowstone Park and what impact that had. Um, and here's uh, um, sort of the introduction short paragraph it says quote when we try to pick out anything by itself we find it hitched to everything else in the universe it's a quote by John Muir Uh, when wolves were reintroduced to Yellowstone National Park after being absent for nearly 70 years the most remarkable 
tropic cascade occurred. Tropic cascade, in quotes. What is tropic cascade? And how exactly do wolves change rivers? Playing in this in this video. And it says that, uh, you see, deer were overgrazing the valleys and uh, a lot of vegetation was eaten up and leaves, uh, trees were eaten, the leaves off trees. And But when the wolves were reintroduced, uh, of course, they, they are predators that hunt and eat deer. So even though it wasn't a lot of wolves, um, the behavior of deer changed. They said they they left the the valleys because within that open space, that's a kind of dangerous place. So they went they left the valleys, and when the deer left the valleys, then the it rejuvenated the plant life in the valley areas. And uh, in fact, the trees, it, it was said, uh, quintupled in just six years. And so much more trees in the valleys and, and more birds came. <laughs> and the beavers increased too because beavers eat trees. Beavers make dams, which creates sort of different habitat for muskrats, otters, and ducks, and fish, and reptiles. And um, now uh, rabbits and mice increased, and then that led to increases in foxes and so forth. And so, <laughs> and uh, well, Tropic Cascade. Uh, means that when you uh, make a change in the food chain at the top, the effects cascade down. So when a big wolves are reintroduced, it starts to affect all, all animals down the food chain, as I just mentioned. And even more surprisingly, not just the food chain, but um, the forest itself was re-energized. The vegetation stabilized the rivers. There's a river that flows through Yellowstone, less soil erosion and so forth. And when the river gets stabilized, then that has its other ecological effects on the physical geography. But this is how wolves change rivers. Yeah, that's... A, <laughs> this. And, of course, it's sort of a, uh, interesting what the scientists, um, through their observations and so forth, introduce such a concept as tropic cascade. Because there's also a phenomenon called uh, bottoms-up change. When you change something very small at the bottom of process system, okay, changes going on all over from top to bottom, bottom to top, and so forth. And um, really shows us interdependency 
how nature operates. And as John Muir said, you try to pick out something by itself and you find it's attached to everything. And even in our own backyard, I noticed, now this is my observation and my interpretation of my observation, but Adrian uh, put out a bird feeder a few years ago, and the birds come and they knock some seeds and things out of their little cup that's attached to the bottle, and so seeds spill onto the ground underneath the feeder. And this attracts uh, not only birds that go down there and peck around on the ground, but squirrels can come and and get the seeds. And I noticed that one time there were quite a bit of squirrels, more than usual. And then shortly after that, I saw a bobcat. <laughs> I, I knew that a bobcat, I had seen him before, not too often, but he lived in the area. But I saw him near near our backyard. So I think the reason he came is because the animals they this is their home. They they this is their neighborhood. They know everything about their neighborhood, right? And so the bobcat probably noticed the activity over there in that backyard. Lots you know, a lot of squirrels. I better go check that out because that's my food. Um, and uh, well, it's the same thing when, as we notice around our property, that there are times when the rabbits get more numerous than usual. We just start seeing them more. When that happens, it won't last. The abundance of rabbits. Because the coyotes are going to take care of them, you see. Um, when there's a lot of easy pickings because of the quantity, the coyotes will eat more. It's a hell, you know. Uh, and the same with mice and so forth. Everything, uh, squirrels, everything's, there's a balance of nature. And I thought that, indeed, this is the, the basis of all the attention that's going on about ecology, sustainability, and trying to understand nature and being harmonious with nature rather than just trying to conquer nature and you know for just for human purposes. We have to understand the balance of nature and how to harmonize with it. Well, I want to go on to introduce today's guest to give us a Dharma glimpse. This is Tamu Hoyo. She lives in Pennsylvania. She was part of the LM5 group, the ministry group, and uh, she has served as the president of the uh, Bright Dawn Lay Ministers Resource Group, the Trailblazers, and she was very responsible for the latest um, collection that Bright Dawn Lay Ministers have um, compiled over the years, They've given a lot of Dharma glimpses, and some of them are great, great uh, personal experience stories. And so they were compiled into a book, um, uh, e-book, I guess you call it, where 
you print on demand. It's a very nice um, process, and um, we plan to maybe do this because to read about personal experiences about Dharma teachings in every everyday life, those kind of stories are you know real life. It's fascinating, and it's a great example about how the Dharma is everywhere. Um, giving Dharma glimpses, which is part of our study program, all the groups. They do uh, take turns giving Dharma glimpses uh, as part of their weekly study sessions. And they also volunteer to do give Dharma glimpses like the one that Tamil Royal is going to give in a few seconds on Live Dharma Sunday. And we keep track of these and pile them away and, and then we're going to share them to the public through these books. So let me introduce Tamil Royal. Thank you, Sensei. Thank you for having me on this week's Live Dharma Sunday. I am very happy to be here. This week, I wanted to talk about something that has been on my mind lately. Um, I was on Facebook a while back, and someone asked the question, what do you want out of 2017? And usually, I do not bother to respond to questions, but I thought it was a really good question. And I decided that I would give it some thought. And when I thought about it, I really thought, what is it that I want out of 2017? What new direction do I want to take my life in? And what came to me was yes. I realized that I wanted to face the day, the year, the day, the week, the months coming with an attitude of openness, an attitude of a willingness to say yes, to say yes in the way that when you observe little children playing and they just embrace everything with happiness, they're they're playing with, you know, not having any sort of self-conscious attitude. They're just enjoying the moment. So for 2017 and beyond and moving forward in my life, I want to be able to say yes instead of, you know, when an opportunity or something new or something different is presented to us, sometimes we have a tendency to want to only stay within the realms of what makes us feel comfortable, what we know, what we feel safe. But it, I feel that it's when, when you have, uh, when you um, are willing to say yes in a moment and willing to take an opportunity that's presented to you. You know, I mean, of course, it's not just saying yes to everything, but a lot of times there are things that we want to say yes to, but then when we decide we want to say yes, that fear mechanism might kick in that says, well, if we do this, this may not work, or that may not work, or how is this feasible? How are you going to be able to afford it? But I would encourage and invite everyone 
that, you know, going forward, that you're more open and willing to say yes. When that little voice inside of you wants to say yes, try your best not to talk it down or, you know, let doubt or fear come in and give you all the reasons why you should should say no. Uh, Saying yes opens you up to change, to growth, to something new, to something different, um, helps you to gain wisdom. And even if what you say yes to may not necessarily turn out in the way that you had hoped or desired or thought it would, it could still be a good thing. Yes is a good word to have in your vocabulary. Yes. Being willing to say yes rather than status quo. And with that end, I thank you for allowing me to share my Dharma tip with you. Be willing to say yes. Until next time, keep going. Thank you very much. That is a very good theme for the year. Um, I don't know if it if, if it was uh, uh, related, but in our latest newsletter, the, the cover lead article was written by Dharma Dan, and it was titled The Yearly Affirmations. And Dharma Dan says, um, uh, you know, New Year resolutions, they're rarely kept and so forth. And so Dharma Dan says, well, I'd like to make a couple of different kind of suggestions uh, for the new year. And one of them was think of a, a word or a theme for the new year. Um, I just went to get the copy of the newsletter. And it says, um, word of the year, choosing a word that can set the tone for 2017. Choose a word that can encourage and accompany you on your spiritual journey. Um, uh, and put that word, print that word out, put it, put a little reminder notes where you see it every day. Um, or maybe even don't just scribble it on a scrap paper with a sharpie pen. You know, put more care into printing your word out and to reflect the seriousness about this project and so forth. So I don't know if if she read that article or not, but that doesn't matter. I think that's a great idea. What do you want to get? What do you want to do? Where's the focus in 2017? Any new life directions? And uh, print out yes on an index card and put in your in your car, in your stove, in your bathroom, (laughs) rooms in your house. Um, Yes. And, you know, if um, some people might say, as soon as they hear something, an idea, the first thing they think about is, you don't want to say yes. You know, they think about critical aspects of it right away. Wow. You don't want to say yes to everything, or are there some instances where you don't want to say yes, and that's 
and that's too too much of a generalization. Let's think of all the exceptions that poke holes in that. You got to be realistic. Blah blah blah. No, I think that misses the point. It's not a matter of the objectiveness of details, but the when you talk about an attitude of being willing to consider new things, to to reflect upon our usual way of operating, which hinders, well, experiences okay, that will lead us to greater, greater growth, greater, you know, more fruitful, richer living. And um, I think there is a tendency, uh, and it's it's shown in some people more than others, and that's where it sort of stands out. But those who are cynics, pessimists, okay, uh, there's such a thing as being too Pollyannish or too optimistic, or you know, not very being pragmatic. But you know <laughs> what I'm talking about. Um, Tom Oyo mentioned, well, when you recapture the enthusiasm of children, okay, this is sort of looking a little bit more into ramifications or associations about the yes attitude. If you ask children, children know how to play and have fun. Adults, we lose this because we, we say, oh, we only got, we're serious. You want to do things that have a purpose and that are productive and not just have fun. That's a waste of time, isn't it? Efficiency, goals. Uh, yeah, I mean, sure. But if you tell, if you tell kids, hey, hey, I just, this is a little little behavior right here that's, that's uh, I just discovered this was fun to do. Shall we do this just for the heck of it? If you say that to a little kid, they'll say, yeah. Adults will turn up their nose at you at the silliness of that. Okay. Uh, kids can help through society and conditioning to learn the difference between work and play, and that is a shame. They lose the, the oneness of being and doing you know, you, you take a three-year-old or something and you have them help you wash the dishes. They have a great time. Oh, yeah, I know it makes a mess, and it's not the most efficient way to finish the chore. Uh, and how many chores do we have to do? Cut the grass, vacuum. A young child, if they're helping you do it, <laughs> they could have a fun doing it. Of course, they're going to get jaded, too, and all of this, all of that, all of this. But another way that this point, I've seen it play out to have a good lesson for us is in the midst of doing important work, say like you, 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 you're you part of a uh, board of directors of a nonprofit or um, you're working with a group of people, say a vocational setting or in a church setting, you have your board of directors making important decisions of what to do, how to use all this money and direction in which to move. 
And if a person, um, well, they don't have to be just a younger person, but suggest a new idea. You should see the inertia about how committees work or function. And this maybe is uh, reflects what you might call conservatism or stick in the <laughs> a stick in the mud. A lot of balance involved there too. Okay, but in general, it is very prevalent that uh, when a new idea is introduced, the immediate reaction of certain individuals is to throw water on it right away. Let's look at, you know, something that will disrupt the status quo and it will be a big mistake to do this because uh, there's a lot of group dynamics involved here, conformity, uh, all these factors operating, psychological atmosphere of the group and so forth. Um, And... uh, uh, you may miss out on growth. You don't, you know, flow with developing new ideas and keeping up with changing times and so forth, right? Um, and there are some nice sayings that reflect conservatism to stay with the inertia of the status quo. And this is where you take aim at a target, a new a new target, and then you, instead of saying, ready, aim, fire, they don't want to fire. They're willing to discuss this and all the factors involved. They want to analyze it to death. Paralysis by analysis, sometimes they call it. Aim, aim, aim. There's no ready, aim, fire. Sure, (laughs) you got to aim. You don't just, the way, but Sometimes you just keep aiming. You never pull the trigger. And there's also a saying that says a committee is an unusual animal with four hind legs. <laughs> no front legs. No going forward. So obviously, as I said, you have to look at the pros and cons and all this kind of stuff. But uh, take a look at uh, when things are to the detriment, huh? and uh, to be, I remember when. Um, well, I'm a so my background was a social as a social scientist. My older brother was in the physical sciences, and there's a difference in attitude there. You know, sort of between an artist and an engineer. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, to overgeneralize the stereotype, the engineer might be too too mechanical, and the artist might be too subjective. Hmm? And say, hey, how about this? How about that? And then the, the engineer right away is, is is evaluating. There's a difference between the idea generation phase and the idea evaluation phase, and sometimes they get all mixed together when they should be separate. That's one big thing about creativity, which is what makes progress in this world. And it holds for individual spiritual growth process, too, and not just 
in the world, it, well, when a new idea comes out, so, ah, that'll never work. Pragmatic evaluation rather than being open to say, well, wait a minute, that's seriously considered a possibility. That's all that Tom Hoy is talking about, and I endorse it. <laughs> that's all for today's broadcast. Till next time, here it is. Keep going. And you have a very beautiful day. <laughs>